Let's bow together. Father, again, we praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for our sins. We thank you that your word reveals the glorious, wonderful gospel of your son. And Father, I thank you that you use your word not only to bring us to the knowledge of the Savior, your son, Jesus Christ, but you use your word to conform us to the image of your son. And I pray you would do so today, that you'd use your word for your glory in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, it will not take you long to recognize that in this world we will have trouble. That this life, uh, in this life we will experience at times difficulty. You know, the Apostle Paul characterized the Christian life as the good fight of faith. It, it's, a, it's a battle, but it's a good battle. It's a battle to rely and trust on G, trust in Jesus Christ day in and day out in the midst of hardship and difficulty and temptation that we might encounter. Now, given those things don't come all the time, but they do, they do come. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, would tell his disciples in John 15, remember, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And Peter would say, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. The reality is we do enter into difficulties, whether it's trials, testing, uh, whether it's hardship, temptation. It's not all the time, but we do enter into those things. We do enter into those things. And so with this in mind, maybe some of you have entered into difficulties, whether it's a relational difficulty, whether it's a situation with a job or a loss of a job, family problems, health issues, whatever it might be. Persecution, even for, for doing the right thing in Christ, whatever it might be. All these things are difficult and can be extremely difficult. So how are we to endure these things? How are we to make it through the difficulties that come upon us in this life for whatever it might be? Even difficulties for our failures and our sin. What are we to do? Well, today I believe we're going to see as we continue our little short break between books in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that God brings forth his loving discipline, that uh, we can understand why things are so tough at times because God is doing good in the midst of those things. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11. Uh, We completed 1 through 3 last week. And within this, I want to just briefly review the context of the book of Hebrews. Uh, We know that the inspired writer is writing sometime between 33 A.D. after the ascension of Jesus and before 70 A.D., uh, and that Hebrew believers were suffering for their faith. And yet within that, they had become, some had become dull of hearing and immature. They were on the verge of compromise, in a sense, in their faith. And then in the midst of these Hebrew believers, there were those who had not fully embraced the truth concerning Jesus Christ. And they are being warned that there's only one thing that's going to save them, is Jesus Christ. They're being warned they better listen to him. And in contrast to uh, the difficulties, the things that they're going through, that Christ is superior, that Christ is the one that we should focus on. And he's making an argument uh, that Christ is superior to the old covenant. That Christ, uh, in the beginning of this book, that Jesus is superior uh, to the old covenant, which was a type and shadow of what was to come. 
We see in this book of Hebrews that in chapter, early chapters that he shares that uh, Jesus is superior to angels, the, the messengers of the Old Covenant. That Jesus is superior to Moses, the apostle of the Old Covenant. And then that Jesus is superior to the earthly priestly tabernacle system, which was a type and shadow of what was to come, which would be him coming to die for our sins, to bring once for all forgiveness of sins. And we see this great, wonderful reality that Jesus is a superior high priest who mediates a superior covenant through his once-for-all sacrifice, which brought about eternal redemption. And in the earlier chapters, in chapter 10, we see we're to respond as believers. We're to respond by drawing near to him in faith, by hoping continually in him, by loving him and loving and serving his body. And then we have one of those warnings uh, in the book of Hebrews that are laden through for those who, who, who appear to be identified with the body of Christ but are not true believers yet. It says in chapter 10, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. So within this book, there were true believers who were growing weary in the difficulties, and there were those who identified with Christ but were not believers, and they're being warned not to turn back to Judaism, but to trust in Jesus Christ. Then we come to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, where we see the lifestyle of the redeemed as exhibited by Old Testament saints. They walked by faith, and they endured to the end. And then we saw the tremendous testimony of them last week that so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. They're everywhere in the Bible that testify to, to trust and faith in the Lord God and, and completing the race. That we should run the race with endurance that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, having laid aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And that brings us to our passage today, where again, I believe we're going to see why things are so tough. For believers at times. Look at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we all have become partakers, then you are an Ill- illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, many of us can have a misconception of this term discipline. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family or you're, you, all you're aware of is discipline as being just simply a spanking. An angry dad or something hitting you, whatever it might be, spanking you or yelling at you, whatever it might be. Some of us can have the wrong concept of discipline. Some of you may think of discipline maybe in the, in the right context in terms of chastisement. 
where you had a loving parent who chastised you, but that's all you think of when you think of discipline. One scripture, discipline is more than that, as we're going to see. And as we came to our passage, if you noticed as we went through it, the word discipline was used no less than seven times in our passage today. And our word translated discipline here is paideia, and it means to educate. Uh, That's where we get our word pedagogy, which means to educate children. Pedo, the original Greek for children. Uh, We get our term pediatric from that. The term speaks of the act of rearing and guiding a child towards maturity through the process of training, instruction, or correction. It's a process of guiding one to maturity through training, instruction, or correction. You see, I think we don't understand discipline at times. We can have wrong, a wrong view of it because it does encompass all of these aspects. And when we look at discipline today, we're going to see correction, but we're also going to see those other things in terms of God's discipline upon us. Because when we think of discipline, we usually just think of a spanking. We think of those things that are difficult. And yes, they are difficult for a season, but it is so much more than that. And if we don't have a right understanding, we might grow weary and give up. If we don't have a right understanding of what's going on, we might grow weary in the race. So we see it is... uh, Certainly speaks of scourging. You look at verse 6. It's in parallel discipline with scourging. For the Lord loves those he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 earlier that God's discipline was on the Corinthian church for their wickedness during communion. They were basically having a party. And God disciplined them that they would not be judged with the world. Some unto death. That's pretty serious discipline, by the way. But it's also important, as I've mentioned, to notice that discipline is also used to simply describe instruction, training, and education. The same word is used in some other passages, actually. Uh, In Acts chapter 7, 22, it says, Moses was educated, that's how it's translated, and I believe that's a good translation, or disciplined in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was a man of power in word and deeds. You know, when you are disciplined in something, you are being trained in it. You are being educated in it, right? In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of his education using the same word, paideia. He says, I'm a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated or disciplined under Gamal, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are all today. Speak in other translations say, you know, things like thoroughly taught, thoroughly trained, thoroughly trained. We see in the context of the gospel what God is doing through the person of Jesus Christ in Hebrews, or excuse me, Titus chapter 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared in bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, paideaing us, disciplining us to do what? to deny ungodness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope. We see that. Now, concerning the discipline of the Lord, we do see the chastisement of David for his sin in Psalm 32. Turn to Psalm 32. There is chastisement for sin. There is. Psalm 32. We're going to see that we can go through difficulties, and some of it may be because of our sin. And I am so thankful, by the way, that if we respond rightly to our failures, God's going to use them to educate us. He's going to grow us. He's going to change us. Psalm chapter, Psalm 32, verse 2. 
How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose sin spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away uh, through, through all day, groaning all, through my groaning all day long. For, he explains, for night and day thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. God's hand was heavy on David and God sent Nathan. Then David responded, by the way, and David responded. We see also education in terms of God's discipline, in terms of the educating of Job. Job was a righteous man, and he was, in a sense, trained and disciplined. And God used that situation to even bring out things in Job's life that were not right, that God would use to show him that he would be more like Christ. Think about two storms we see in Scripture, both caused by God. The first storm, the one Jonah encountered... Why did God bring it upon Jonah? Because of his sin. Because of his sin, right? Remember, Jonah disobeyed God, refusing to go to Nineveh, running away from God, taking the ship to to Tarshish. You remember what God did? God brought a big storm and a big fish. And uh, why did he bring this upon Jonah? Because of his sin. And he used it to train Jonah. He used it to train Jonah. Consider a second storm. After Jesus fed the 5,000, remember in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, Jesus went away to pray and his disciples, he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. It's at this point they encounter a fierce storm and they believe they're going to die. And that storm did not come upon them because of disobedience. It came upon them because they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. And God used that situation to train them to trust Jesus, to train them. So then God's discipline involves chastising for sin, training and education, or a combination of both. And we also see in another passage one other element that God might use in a disciplinary way. Take, for instance, the example of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Turn there for a second. The Apostle Paul was able to see some things that were pretty magnificent. And in his sinful human nature... He probably would have sinned, and God had to do something to keep him from sinning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Sometimes God allows difficulty in our lives to protect us or keep us from sinning. But what we're going to see is that for the believer, all difficulty God is going to use for good. Even the difficulty when we fail, if we repent and we turn to him, we'll find compassion. We'll find compassion. So then, it includes those things, chastisement, training, education uh, for righteousness, and also to intervene to keep us from sinning. So with that in mind, as we look at our passage, how is it that we can endure these things that come upon us? and not lose heart. How is it? Well, first of all, we're going to see back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, that we must realize that God uses suffering and hardship in the lives of his true children. The difficulties we encounter for whatever reason he is going to use for good if we understand and are willing to allow him to do that. Verse 4, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved. 
Now the Lord begins here with the example of these Hebrews in regards to his discipline. Remember we saw last week, this is on the heels of the great, uh, the, the so great a cloud of witnesses that, that testifiers, as we saw, that testified to the fact that God is faithful and if you trust him, he will bring you through to the end. You will endure. We saw very clearly that we are to lay aside every encumbrance, those weights and the sin, that sin of unbelief as we see throughout Hebrews that so easily takes tight grasp on us. And we're to run this race with endurance, with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Tremendous realities that we see in Scripture. And now he moves from the example of fixing your eyes on Jesus and what Jesus went through to what we are going through and what we need to do what we need to do. He says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. The term striving speaks of a battle or a fight. And if you're a believer, guess what? We're all striving against sin. But here it's the term and in the Greek. It's actually the sin. It's, it's a definitized in a sense, which kind of points back to what we saw earlier, this idea of the sin that really entangles us, the one that really gets us is not trusting in Jesus, not believing in him. Certainly all their sin does also. But in your striving against sin, when you are worn down and, and going through difficulties, that's where our faith in Christ can wane at times. We believe everything he said, we believe in him, but practically speaking, it can wane. And he says here, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. He says, you haven't done so. Your struggle is tough, but is it as tough as the Lord's struggle when he came and had human flesh? You see, they're being tempted, being persecuted probably by non-believing Jews around them. Yet the author reminds them that it isn't as bad as it could be. Now that's reassuring, isn't it? Well, not really, right? <laughs> we'll see the later part that's reassuring, right? He says, you have not resisted in your, in, to the point of sh- shedding blood and you're striving against sin. You haven't died for your faith yet, by the way. You haven't died for trusting Christ. He says that hasn't happened yet. But now he gives them some insight, some insight that maybe what has happened in their lives. Look at verse 5. And you have forgotten. You have forgotten. The exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. It's clear in context, the struggle or this fight against the opposition, those who are persecuting them, had been ordained by God. And it's clear here, more specifically, the Lord is saying, actually, he's using it as discipline. He's saying that's what's going on here. He says, you've forgotten something. You see, sometimes the Lord will use those who are against us to chastise us or to discipline us, or in the train instruct us. One, uh, one pastor writes, persecution for religion is sometimes correction and rebuke of the sins of the professors of that religion. Men persecute them because they are religious. God chastises them because they are not more so. And speaking about following the Lord. So men persecute them for they will not give up their profession. God chastises them because they have not lived up to their profession. So what can we ascertain from our passage here? 
that God's discipline here, as we're going to see, is part of his training. You see that God allows things to happen to us, even the consequences of our own sin, to train us. And if we become forgetful of that, we're going to lose heart. If we become forgetful that the situations that come around us, no matter whether it's our fault, someone else's fault, whoever's fault it is, when we come to a right understanding of that, confessing our sin, that God is using those to discipline us. Notice back in the verse 4, there's a contrast here. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood against your striving of sin. He says, we know that Jesus Christ, back in verse 3, for the joy set before him, verse 2, endured the cross, despising the same, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 now. For consider him who has endured such hostility against sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. He had the joy set before him of redeeming us and glorifying God. He understood the purpose of what he was going through. And we too have not even gone that far. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. We need to understand the purpose for what we are going through. And if we trust Christ and recognize, it will help us. Look down at verse 7. Very interesting statement. And if we see discipline wrong, we're going to get kind of weirded out by it, I think. It is for discipline that you endure. It is for God's redemptive, corrective, training, instructive purposes that we endure the junk that comes our way. That's the reason. We don't endure just for the sake of enduring. We endure because we know God is doing good in it. He is working those things for good. He is working on us. He is doing something glorious, as we're going to say. So then, just as Jesus endured trusting the Father, joyfully looking forward to the ultimate purpose, we, too, will endure if we trust Christ, joyfully understanding God's sanctifying purposes of his loving discipline. God is not a passive observer when Satan and sinners beat up on us. He, uh, or when, even when we experience the consequences for our own sin, when we confess those sins. You see, God is gracious and he overrules and he uses these circumstances to fulfill his loving purposes in his children. Children. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? He could say it actually accurately. You meant it for evil. And it was evil, by the way, if you know what happened in Genesis. But God meant it for good. We have to have a right mindset or we will become discouraged. We'll become discouraged. Even in the midst of our own failures, if we're still, if we turn and walk with Christ, we have to have the right mindset. We're not to be caught off guard when we encounter fiery trials or difficulties to test our faith because we know God is doing good in those things. And it's temporal. They're temporal concerning in regards to eternity. So we see, as James writes, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Isn't that what we need? God starts to show us his faithfulness, the demonstrating of your faith. You trust Jesus. Jesus is faithful. He demonstrates it. He shows you it. It produces endurance. God is faithful over and over and over and over again. Another pastor writes, the Christian view of suffering is now presented. Why do persecutions, testings, trials, sickness, pain, sorrow, and trouble come into the life of a believer? Are they a sign of God's anger or displeasure? Do they happen by chance? Should we, how should we react to them? These verses teach us that these things are part of God's education, 
educative process for his children. And all they do not, all do many do not come from him. He permits them and he overrules them for his glory and for our good and for the blessing of others. Nothing happens to the Christian by chance. Tragedies are blessings in disguise. God harnesses the adverse, the adverse circumstances in the life to conform us to the image of Christ. I agree with that completely. So how do we endure these things? How do we get through them? Well, first of all, we need to realize that every difficult situation God is using to train us. Some may be chastisement given, but it's always going to be instructive. It's always going to be to our good. He's using them to train us that we would become more like Jesus Christ. Now, the issue that we have is responding wrongly to discipline. You know, we're all kind of different in the way that we sin. You know, some people might just brush it off, nonchalant, no big deal. Some people might fall apart and want to give up. And God addresses those things, those reactions in the lives of believers. Look at verse uh, 3, and we're going to read through 5 again. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord, nor do not regard lightly the discipline, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Those are possible reactions that we might have. And for us not to do those things, which we'll look at in a minute, we need to not forget. We need to not forget something. Look at verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. You've forgotten what God has said. And therefore you are becoming discouraged and you are tempted to give up. You've forgotten the word of God in relationship to your circumstance. Now you may know it, you may understand it, but you practically in a sense forgotten it. Have forgotten. Now the term is in a perfect tense in Greek. What does that mean? You've forgotten the past and that forgetting back then still affects you now. It still affects you now. Bob read Proverbs chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 earlier. Very clear that that is the exhortation he is speaking of, that he quotes here. That's the exhortation. Let me read that for you. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even a father as the son whom he delights. God does it. He loves us. And so he is not a father who is hands-off, who is really self-loving, by the way. Fathers and parents who are hands-off on their children are, are, are exhibiting self-love, whether they understand it or not. A good father will train, instruct, discipline, chastise, all those things. All those things. Now, we know that we're sinful people. We're, none of us are, are perfect fathers or mothers. But God is a perfect father. And we see that he is the one who allows these things. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation. You've forgotten the word of God. You forgot the word of God. That God disciplines his children. That he trains, instructs, and he's relating it in regards to their hardship, by the way. You've forgotten in the midst of the difficulties you are encountering that God disciplines. And brothers and sisters, we can do the same thing. Whatever it is, again, I mentioned all the different things we can go through. Let's say you blow it, you sin, you've confessed it. You're at the Lord. There's still difficulty. Well, God wants to train you through that. Whether it's difficulty for not sinning, for whatever it might be, God wants to train you, instruct you 
make you more like Christ, as we're going to see, to help us share His holiness, that we would ultimately have the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So then, now there's two wrong responses that we can avoid. And I think we're all probably recognized maybe a direction we might be tempted to go more than another. You know, when the Lord disciplines me and allows difficulties, for me personally, I don't tend to just brush it off, no big deal. I tend to think, oh man, this is too much. You know what I'm saying? You tend to think that. That's the way I go. But there's two ways, and there are two opposites, that we are told not to respond this way, and it's based on not forgetting God's Word. Look again, verse 5. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline. Now, discipline, chastisement, instruction, uh, training, maybe even prevention of sin. Don't regard it lightly. And the implication is it's not fun stuff, by the way. It isn't fun stuff, at least for the moment. It says, do not regard lightly. What does that mean to regard lightly? To not take it seriously, to brush it off. To think the difficulties coming away, oh, I'll just brush it off, that, that, that it has no real meaning in my life. Folks, it has meaning. If, if you're a believer and you have a difficulty, for whatever reason, God is using it. It has meaning. He is instructing us. Don't, don't regard it lightly. You see, we are not to not take God seriously. We are to take these things seriously. Take them as seriously as God does. A loving Father. Now, we're not to regard lightly. Maybe some of you are regarding difficulties in your life lightly. You're not seeing them in regards to God's hand. For whatever reason they came about. First of all, obviously we need to confess any sin if it's because of those things. If it's things that we've done in the past, present, whatever it is, we need to get right with the Lord and we will find compassion. But sometimes there's still consequences and God is going to use those. Look at the life of David. I mean, there were consequences in his life, and God used those to train David, by the way. Read through the Psalms. Read through the Psalms. So do not regard it lightly. Don't brush it off, brothers and sisters. If you forget the command, maybe you will, but don't do so. But also, there's another response that we are to avoid also. Nor, end of verse 5, faint when you are reproved by him. We are not too faint when we are reproved or when things are brought to light. The word is convict. It speaks of exposing. We're not to faint. We're not to faint. The term faint was used earlier. It speaks of losing heart, getting discouraged, fainting in a sense, in your emotions and your, your, your responses. We're not to let that happen. We're not to grow weary. Same word translated grow weary back in verse 3. It has the implication of possibly giving up or saying, forget it. And you know, sometimes things can get so difficult, whether it's a circumstance in the moment, an argument, whatever it might be, it can be so difficult we can say, forget it. I've had enough of this. Right? I give up in that sense. Well, the Lord wants us not to forget that in that circumstance, He is training us. He is training us. He's working on us for good. We need to remember that. Don't faint. Are you struggling with circumstances? Maybe it's because of sin. You confessed it. Don't faint. God is doing good. Are you struggling because someone else is doing things to you for doing the right thing? Don't faint. Don't give up. Are circumstances turning out in ways that are not what you would think would be, would be good? They're bad? Don't faint. Don't faint. 
Don't give up, brothers and sisters. Don't give up. It's a command. It's a command. So when God lays his disciplinary hand on you to weed out sin in your life or to keep you from sinning or to protect you from sin, in that sense, or to instruct you, how are we to respond? Don't take it lightly and don't faint. Don't faint. Remember that God disciplines those whom he loves. And we're going to see that. We see why things are so tough. Why are things tough for us at times? Not all the time, but at times. Because God is allowing things to happen to train us, as we're going to see. And notice it stems from his love for us. stems from a real love. Look at verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves. Those whom the Lord loves. He says he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. You see, the Lord God loves his children. And this is a love that's that's not a human love. It's a divine love. He loves us. It's self-sacrificial. It's demonstrated in what God did in sending his own son for us. Let me share a few passages about the Lord's love. 1 John 4, 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that he sent his only begotten son into the world so that you might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means satisfaction. He sent his own son from glory. He prepared a body for him. Hebrews 10, he took on human flesh. And he lived the perfect life. uh, And his own creation said, crucify him. He died for our sins. And he rose from the dead. The Lord loves us. The Lord loves us. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those whom he loved, or loved God, and those he's called, right? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are then enabled to love the Lord God. But here we see, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. First John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Such, are, such wretched sinners, wicked men and women and boys and girls that God saves through Jesus and we become his children. Tremendous. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So remember that. When difficulty comes, whatever it is, it's from the hand of a loving God. A loving God. When the horn loves, he disciplines. And notice, I mentioned this earlier, verse 7, that the discipline that he brings forth is to bring about endurance. Endurance. It is for discipline that you endure. It's for discipline that you remain under the difficulties in your life. You know, the world, if something goes wrong with the marriage, go get another wife. They, they get out. Something goes bad at work, go get another job. It's, they don't remain under much, folks. They go from one thing to another. And we are tempted as believers to do the same thing. But here he says it is for God's purposes of instruction and, and discipline and prevention of sin that we endure these difficulties that come because we know God loves us and he's doing good. It's for discipline, for his sanctifying purposes. Why do we endure the difficulties and the jobs God has given us? It's for discipline we endure. God's loving hand upon us. Women, why do you endure the difficulties of managing the household or whatever it might be? Raising their children? Discipline you endure. Those of you suffering physically, physically, and it's not because of sin. David suffered physically because of sin. He confessed it, by the way. And if you've confessed it, you're suffering, 
Why do we endure? It's for God's training, making us holy that we endure. So folks, do you see God's sovereign hand behind every difficulty, lovingly overriding and working, training, disciplining, because he loves us. And if you don't, you won't endure. You're going to give up. You're going to give up. We're going to take it lightly. Notice lastly, or second to last here, God's discipline also affirms our sonship. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Middle of verse 7, God deals with you as sons. And then he illustrates that true sons are disciplined. He's pointing out the obvious duty of a father to train their children. The obvious duty. What son is there that is not instructed, trained, and disciplined? Now, obviously, humanly speaking, not perfect. But what son is not corrected by their father? If we are true sons of God through faith in Christ, then we are going to be disciplined by our Heavenly Father. But verse 8, notice the obvious contrast. But if you are without discipline, if every difficulty in your life is not producing any Christ-likeness, if you are not becoming more sharing in His holiness, if you are not being trained uh, and, and walking the peace of the righteous, every difficulty is not making you more like Christ, I would question whether you know the Lord. I would question. I would question that. Now, the Lord knows the heart. But here he says here, but if you are without discipline, that's God's training to make you more holy, by the way, through the difficulties of life. Now, the world has difficulties, but it's not training to be holy, by the way. He says, of which all have become partakers, that's speaking of believers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You're not a, you're not a son of God. So you need to ask yourself, maybe some of you here have been said Christians for years, and, and the difficulties in your life have never, ever made you more like Christ. Ever. Ever. I would question whether you know him. Examine your heart. See if you're in the faith. The Lord is faithful. He wants you to be in the faith. He wants you to grow. He wants you to become more like Christ. That's what he wants. So then we see if God is not actively using hardships in your life to produce Christ's life, maybe you need to examine. God has ordained hardships, and these hardships are conforming us to the image of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. While you're doing that, our air conditioning is specifically designed to keep you awake during the service. <laughs> hot, cold, hot, cold. Okay, so, all right. Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Sons of God. The Spirit of God through the Word of God is working in your heart. And in the context here, we see what God allows Hey, it's an evidence you're a child. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons as we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, that's amazing, and heirs of, heirs of God and fellow or joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So then... 
God ordains hardships in our lives. He doesn't cause them. Now, He may allow them. God is a good God. He doesn't bring evil. But God allows it. And He uses it for good. He uses it for good. Notice here that God's discipline has a purpose. Furthermore, verse 19, we had back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The terms subject and respect are in parallel. Children respect their parents as they discipline. They submit themselves to that discipline. You see? And he says here, from the lesser to the greater, if, we, if that's the case with human relationships, how much more with our relationship with God shall we be subject, subject ourselves to him, be humble and allow it to happen because you know what he's doing. And then he says, and live, Father of spirits, and live. The result of subjecting ourselves in the context of discipline is life. Now, we know we were delivered from darkness to, to light. We've, we've come to eternal life in Jesus Christ. So what is this talking about? I'm not sure, but it appears to be speaking of the spiritual sphere, the Father of spirits. That's the, God the Father, right? How much more should we be subject to him? And then the result, live. Live. When we subject ourselves to God and not rebel, we experience life in him. I think that's what it's talking about. Yes, we're alive in Christ, but we can walk in the context of sin and separation, you know, with our fellowship. But when we subject ourselves, there's life. Are you rebelling? Or are you subjecting yourself to God in the context of his loving discipline? Don't forget his word. Submit yourself to him. Lord, you're allowing this difficulty to happen right now. Lord, enable me to trust you to bring about Christ's likeness in my life. Remind me of your words so that I would respond rightly. Help me see where I have failed. The result is a right relationship with the Lord as you walk with him. Well, notice we see the ultimate purpose here. Ultimate purpose, verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best. Again, earthly fathers. But he, speaking of God, disciplines us for what? For our good that we would share in his holiness. This is a great statement. And by the way, the term good here is not the usual term in Greek for good. And actually, I think this may be one of the only places it's translated good here. It's usually translated benefit or profitable. He disciplines us for our profit or gain, for our benefit. We benefit by his discipline. We benefit by it. We benefit by it. And how is it we benefit by it? He says that we would share, may share in his holiness. You know, God is holy. God is set apart from sin. It's his holiness. And when we allow him to work in our hearts, we become more like him. First Peter chapter, chapter uh, 1, be holy for I am holy, right? God produces that in us when we rely on him. When we submit ourselves and recognize what he is doing and allow him to change us. You know, God disciplines us and so that we wouldn't pull off our eyes off him in disobedience and unbelief. And when we don't do that, he will produce holiness in us. He disciplines us to, to, to weed out sin, to make us like Christ. 
in the myriad of trials and tribulations you may be going through, whatever it is, physical difficulty, it's not your fault. God is allowing it. He's allowing it to train you. Difficulties you have in your life, he's allowing to train you that you would become more like Jesus Christ, that you would share in his holiness. We don't share in his holiness unless we're abiding in him and he's functioning through us, by the way. Do you see your current situations that way? We need to. Don't forget. Now look at verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. We all want to say amen on the inside, right? That's the reality, right? Um, But sorrowful. Yet, yet, keep reading. To those who have been trained by it afterwards, it produces or it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. All discipline, and you can say literally, for the present. That's what it says in the original language. All discipline for the present, going on right now. Seems to be sorrowful, not joyful, but sorrowful. That's true. You know, if someone says, oh, praise the Lord, I just ruined my car. You know, (laughs) well, no, not praise the Lord, but I praise the Lord. He's going to work through this horrible situation, and he's going to make me more like Christ. That's what I can praise him for. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those, this wonderful contrast, who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The term trained here is, comes from the Greek word gumnadzo. We get our word gymnasium from. It literally means in Greek to exercise naked, and that's how the Greeks trained. It speaks of mental and spiritual training and discipline in this context to control oneself, to exercise self-control, to exercise. So those who have been exercised in the gym of God's discipline, there is profit. There is benefit. There's benefit. You see, God is training us and exercising us through the gym of the trials he allows. It's interesting, he uses the same word earlier back in Hebrews chapter 5. Turn back to Hebrews 5 for a moment. You think of it, if you go to the gym and you're training or whatever it is, you're training and there's profit from that. God is doing that in our lives. The difficult, we've got to see it right, brothers and sisters, and we will be different. People will be asking, why do you have hope? Well, it's because of Christ and what he's doing in me, right? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, that's speaking of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, verse 11, since you have become dull of hearing, for by, through this t- Throw by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need, again, someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature or the complete, who because of practice have had their senses gumnadzoed, trained to discern good and evil. God uses our trials to work out in us what is pleasing. Gumnazo. It's a perfect tense, which is really great because it says, says those who have been trained in the past, there's profit that continues. It continues. When you recognize what God's doing through those things and you allow him to train you, there is profit that continues. And this word yields means to give or pay back. To give or pay back. It pays back. And what does it pay back? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
You see, when the Lord produces his holiness in us and we respond in righteous ways because of him and not because of ourselves, you're going to have peace in your life. If you're stricken by worry, I guarantee righteousness is lacking in your life. Now, yes, we are all tempted, but God has given us his promises to train us, to help us to understand that we would know that he is faithful as we cast our cares upon him. But there's a peaceful fruit. You see someone, you show me someone who's been trained and being trained by the trials of life in Christ, and I'll show you someone who's walking in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you want peace? Recognize what God is doing through your trials. Do you want peace? Submit to it and grow and become more like Jesus Christ. Do you want peace? Don't treat it lightly. Don't ignore it. Don't uh, give up. Do you want peace? Don't forget his word. Do you want peace? Let him exercise out in you these things in the difficulties of life. One pastor says, God's goal and discipline is not simply to make us behave. His purpose is to make us holy, to bring us into conformity with his son. And that conformity brings peace in our lives. Our lives. Brothers and sisters, it is for discipline that we endure. So how can we endure the difficulties of life? Why are things so tough? Well, if you're a believer, they're tough because God loves you. And he wants you to be holy. And he wants you to have peace. And he wants you to walk in the context of righteousness. That's what he's doing. Do you see every circumstance, whether it's your sin? If it's your sin, confess it. Be right with the Lord or you're going to be disciplined like David. Right? His hand heavy on you. I mean, chastisement that doesn't stop. Confess it. Be forgiven. But then the consequences God is going to use to train you. Maybe it's from something else. Difficulties, whatever it is, whenever those difficulties arise, think of this passage right away and trust the Lord. Be trained by him through these things so that you and I would experience and walk in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is so wonderful to see and be reminded of the reason of why you allow discipline, why you allow difficulties in our lives that you are a loving God who is chastising, training, educating, and preventing us from sinning. That your goal is that we would share your holiness. That your goal is that we would experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father, I pray for anyone here who has never truly been made more like Christ by their difficulties, ever. They've never become more like you through them. I pray they'd examine themselves to see if they truly ever humbly confessed their sin and trusted in your son, Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who fail and get caught up in, in sin, Lord God, I pray we confess sin. We would be right with you and we would see things rightly. And Lord, for those walking with you, keeping short accounts, Lord God, I pray that we'd be encouraged that even no difficulty come our, comes our way, you are still weeding out sin in our lives. You're making us more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.